0: League. I'm here with Dina Brodsky, Tom Miang, and our special guest, Peter Trippi. Um w- Are you the founder of Fine Art Connoisseur or editor? What, are, what would you I say? I am the editor-in-chief, It editor sounds chief. so grand on a staff <laughs> yes. <scap> of
1: one. <laughs> I am the king and the janitor at the same time. I love it. you um, of Fine Art Connoisseur. <laughs> but I am actually not the publisher. Uh, Eric Rhodes lives in Austin, Texas, and he's the one who founded it.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And how did you guys uh, get together to work on this? We actually met at a dinner party at the home of Fred Ross, who founded Art Renewal Center in New Jersey. Oh, okay. He and his wife, Sherry, and his daughter, Kara, uh, invited us to supper. And Eric was living outside New York, and I was in New York, and I was directing a museum in New York. And we met over the meal and hit it off and kept in touch. And then, you know, quite a while later... I became editor. It wasn't immediate. Wow. I wasn't looking for a job at that point, but that was a friendship that we formed.
0: Okay. Um, and our, that's the ARC, The the they that's, did the show at the Salma Gandhi recently
1: and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. ARC is how it's known best. Okay. Yeah, great. Right.
2: So, so, so you were actually one of the first art people. You don't remember me, but I remember you because I was, you know, a 22-year-old and it was my first week in New York, and you were doing a lecture at the Dahesh Museum. Ah, uh, of which I think I love that a, museum. I love that museum. It was love, yeah, they, that's was, amazing. Peter, you were the director, right? Yes, yeah. I was. I was director. Uh, and I was kind of in this phase where um, I think I didn't know much about figurative art, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I just sat there with my mouth open. I was like, <laughs> "This guy knows so much." Oh. Uh, um, I feel like that might have been one of the first times they met ton as well. Oh, but, good. Well, that's cool. Uh, here we are. We gather. <laughs> I like this. First, it was the first. Week of, it was the first week of the academy, and uh, you right. know, Got in 2004, which will like forever ago. It feels like forever,
1: definitely. Um, I have always been a supporter of the Academy, uh, as well as the League and uh, all sorts of ateliers around the country. And I think the Dehesh Museum, which, by the way, is still in hibernation, that you know, it closed at yeah, the location it's, that you visited, is such okay. an amazing but place. will reopen next year sometime on the Upper East Side. So really? stay tuned. Are you serious? I'm not involved, but I'm a cheerleader oh. for them. I think they're great. The collection is oh, that's that's great. great, and actually, the collection's bigger because they've been buying now for ten years while in hibernation. Oh wow! So it's good news. While well, well
2: not having a face. So.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. they, they did one of those shows that actually,
0: when I was a poor art student, I actually bought one of the catalogs. You oh know? yeah, nice. and it was the one. All the illustrators had like Line Decker yes. and one of their later shows.
1: Great show. That was an amazing two thousand six. The two thousand six. Okay, Kelly Collection. Yes, Richard Kelly has one of the great collections of that golden age of American illustration. And, uh-huh. and, and for, we were proud to
2: show that. And for anyone who doesn't know the Dahesh, it might have been the only place in the country that kind of specialized in 19th century art. That's right. Art. And, um, yeah. and uh, it, like, it had paintings that... Um, I, like, it it paintings I'd seen in books, but like,
1: I, there's nowhere really to see them in real life. But. Well, you're quite right. It, it did play a very special role in terms of introducing a lot of Americans to that kind of work. The good news is that by the time the museum closed in 2007 and went into hibernation, that a lot of other museums got the idea, why don't we take our bougueros out of storage and put them on view? Hmm. Because they're wonderful and the public loves them and you can understand Monet better if you see what he's reacting against. Mm. You know, Impressionism Mm -hmm. has kind of lost its punch, right? I mean, we love it. We grew up with it. It's lovely, wonderful. But, you know, if you think about the Impressionists, vis-a-vis Bouguereau, who was the superstar of their Uh era, it all gets more interesting, doesn't it? And so Uh, a lot of museums like the Metropolitan have put those things back out more Hmm. often, regularly. And I think the Dehesh had a lot to do with that. And I'm really proud of that. I think we made a difference in the way the field looks at 19th century art. Huh. So is 19th century your specialty and your high interest? That's what I studied most closely in graduate school. So I love that period because I think it's where the world becomes modern. That's okay. where we, as moderns, begin. And, and, of course, the Museum of Modern Art would agree, right? I mean, the, you know, literally, you go back to Van Gogh, right? Mm-hmm. A really amazing
2: mm-hmm. collection of Orientalist art, actually, which, you know, you can't find anywhere. Right. I, I got really lucky because there's one art history teacher in my undergrad who was actually very, very good. Everyone else there barely had a pulse. I mean, he had a pulse to teach in that department. But there's one guy who is amazing and who, um, I think, we, like... Over the last few years, he was the one working on the uh, Islamic art section at, at the Met. Good. Um, but he, um, Good. Yeah, he was an Islamic art specialist, and at some point he taught this class in Orientalism, and it was so fascinating, and I'd never seen that kind of art, and it was all like live at the Daesh. There it was, absolutely.
1: That's a particular area of interest for the Daesh, because the original core collection had come from Beirut in Lebanon. So there was a link with the Middle East, and so it made sense to grow that area um, and of course you're right you don't really see it so much anywhere except uh, again well,
2: the Met see the Met, right, see, the Met
1: came out with a whole room of it uh-huh. and that is terrific but mm-hmm. that didn't date back very far I mean well, that okay. came out We're in right. 2007 oh so,
2: really as of a few years ago my, my former professor was actually working on that too as well as the Islamic art you know mm-hmm. and, and it's right before the Islamic art section starts so it's kind of a perfect it's transition it's so cool yeah. they did a great job they, they, they did, yeah. they did. Yeah.
1: definitely so mm-hmm. that was a joy
0: yeah. And you studied that in as uh, your your post... What, what...
1: Right. Um, I actually did a weird preparation. I did an undergrad in history and art history at William & Mary in Virginia. Okay. Then I went to NYU downtown to study art museum administration okay. and museum studies. Okay. And I did a master's degree in that. Then I went to London to study at the Courtauld Institute of Art, which is a specialist organization for art history. And I got a master's there. I never actually got a PhD or even started one, I thought about it and I was admitted to the Courtauld okay. for a PhD, but then I got the job at the Dehesh and I said, well, this is what I want to do. Learned I'm not going to get a PhD and I don't really want to teach. Yeah. So I was very lucky the way that worked out. Hmm. Um, you know, I feel like the study that I did at the Courtauld was explicitly 19th century. Okay. It was focused on London and Paris okay. and the way that they go back and forth like, in that period, you know. Okay. There's a lot of interaction. Let's face it, there was a lot of innovative art in France. There was a lot of money in England, and the two needed each other, and they uh, were, you know, it was easy to go back and forth, literally, physically. I mean, you yeah. could go in one day from huh. London to Paris. Now you go in three hours. You can right. have lunch in Paris and go back to London for dinner, you know. But still, it wasn't really that hard, even in oh, the 1870s. So.
0: Wow. So what started your interest in art? Were you in, uh Draw her as a kid, or were you an appreciator? Where did
1: I can't draw a stick figure? I okay. never, never have been able to. I did try in college, but that didn't work out. <laughs> I didn't want to. You took stick figure drawing class? Stick figure. <laughs> Got a big fat D. <laughs> no, but I, I fell in love with art through my mother, actually, that she worked at the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C., where I grew up. Oh,
0: wow. And so
1: every summer I would wander the National Mall. For free, you know, safe and sound, walking into every single museum because they're all free. Wow. And just loving it. She was working at different units of the Smithsonian over many, many years. Um, so it was just a place to tag along. And there's and, so many great museums well, in D.C. I mean, the National Gallery of Art yeah. alone is just insanely it's a, it's a, fantastic. You yeah. Know, and then you've got all these others, too. So I was so lucky to be able to look at that kind of quality in a non-threatening way, you uh, know that I'm not sure you would let a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old wander around Washington anymore because no, everyone's so right? anxious about yeah. safety. But at the time, nobody thought about it. You know? Wow, so it was great.
0: We just pack a lunch and head to the museums. Oh, Super great. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny.
2: It's actually my my kind of so my parents would drag me around museums because they liked art and i hated it as a kid i saw this as just the most you know boring thing on the planet and then i ended up in high school and started skipping school as high schoolers do and you need something to do well you know, like, I, I, I mean school is like what like six eight hours yeah. <laughs> so so if you're not going there if you're pretending to go to school but not really going to school then <laughs> the so first thing i do is you know i'd ride my bike back home i disconnect the answering machine so my high school couldn't leave a message saying your daughter's oh you're and good then, and, then I, and then I would bike to um, you know I, I generally like the museums you could get into for free under 16 sure. or 18 or whatever I'd bike to the MFA and i just stay there all day because you gotta I mean you gotta be somewhere well Dina as Perfect. far as
0: skipping school activities that's pretty tame I gotta say it's pretty um, highbrow, skipping I mean, school <laughs> activities
2: uh, but because I think I wasn't that hardcore of a kid and, like I didn't yeah, I didn't okay. want to be in school but it wasn't like I wanted to be like shooting heroes <laughs> on the street corner you know then. Right. Um, I, I went to the zoo a lot too it's a of public library good. I mean yeah <laughs> good all good all but, very inspiring um, so okay so you're 9 or 10 and you're wandering around the Smithsonian and that sounds kind of like a magical childhood that was good um, yeah I was very and, lucky to have that and kind of what, what comes next then?
1: well yeah I mean then basically it, it, it's kind of a story of failure okay. in the sense that I went off to college at William & Mary being a Virginian we, we were living in Virginia by that time and so uh, same state and I intended to study political science or economics or something, just like my dad. And I took all those classes freshman year, and I got horrible grades. Hmm. And I got a big, fat A in art history. Oh, and right. I thought, hmm, <laughs> this is interesting. I think this suggests what I like. You ah. know? And so I just said, you know what? I'm going to do this. And so sophomore year, I actually took the first semester off to work at the National Air and Space Museum on the Mall in Oh, Washington, I love that. That is, is so cool. one of the
0: best museums ever. I mean, why not? Because uh-huh. it's the most
1: popular museum in America. So. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, mean, I didn't know that. Just the attendance is off the charts. It's, it's so cool. It's and it's amazing. You know? yeah. So you have all these people coming through. And that was you know intriguing. I, I didn't want to go into aeronautics, but I certainly thought it was a cool museum. Um, and then I went back to college, uh, second semester, sophomore year and I just did art history and history the whole way and I was great I mean the grades were fantastic because mm-hmm. I loved it
2: mm-hmm. you know and I
1: think that's something that college can offer you know a young person that you may think you want to do this thing and then you stumble into that thing and you're actually better at it and happier wow is the
2: most important thing college offers you Time to figure out which See, it's it time to stumble into a bunch of different things until right. you figure out what you can do for like 12 hours a day, right. exactly. Because like I couldn't, yeah, like, how many mm-hmm. things can you do for 12 hours a day without getting bored? Right, Okay. Like hey. well, yeah, well, <laughs> see, worry,
1: worry, <laughs> I could do a, a lot of
2: worry. A day. Uh, <laughs> bike, I could probably bike for 12 hours
0: a day. <laughs> so, who are the artists that are most important to you in your studies? Then, I mean, you mentioned Bougereau, but who, who
1: else are, yeah. Well, I mean, I went in deep at the Courtauld on a relatively unknown artist called John Rodham Spencer Stanhope. He was a rich man in England who ran around with all the Pre-Raphaelites. Okay. And he loved them, and they loved him, and he was talented, but he didn't really need to work because he was rich. Uh-huh. And then he got ill with asthma, and he moved to Italy, to Florence. And so he kind of checked out of the mainstream. Like, we don't know his name, like Rossetti or Burne jones That gang. But he knew them all well, and they thought he was terrific. So I I decided to write my master's thesis on him because he kept coming up in the conversation, but then he would disappear. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, who is this guy? And, you know, he made some masterpieces that hang at the Tate. So what's that all about? You know, I wanted to drill down a bit. And that really hooked me. I mean, that was the moment where I said, this sector is what I love.
0: So even the story behind kind
1: of entices you.
0: That that reminds me of... uh, Kaibo, I never know how to say his name right, yep, but he yep. was wealthy too, and just sort of painted at his leisure.
1: Absolutely, him. and he bought a lot of his friends' art, mm-hmm. like Monet and so on, because he could afford to help them mm-hmm. by purchasing. And he was damn good, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, was he really, really was a terrific that painter. Floor
0: scraper painter, painting That's is
1: amazing, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Now, to be fair, I had gotten hooked on the British thing by the time I got to London because I had done an exchange year in Scotland during college. So I was at St. Andrews University, which has a great art history department, and I already was in art history, and I just was so lucky to get really wonderful teaching there, Uh, and it was all British, right? Mm -hmm. So I sort of, literally one day after lunch, I'm sitting in my class, starting to fall asleep because it was a good meal, and the lights are going down, and all of a sudden the Pre-Raphaelites come on the screen. And if you're, let's see, I was 21 years old, and you're looking at the Pre-Raphaelites for the first time, Rossetti or Burne jones or... Millet or Holman Hunt, it's all about sex. It's all about color. It's all about emotion and drama and freakiness and the supernatural. And like everyone's having affairs with everyone. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Who are these people? Because there's nothing in America at that time that I knew about, you know, mm-hmm. from that period. Yeah. Very, very little, even today. Yeah. So I just was electrified. And that's really what got me hooked, right? It was just stumbling into that class. If I had missed that lecture... I don't know. Where would I be now? Right. Oh, that
0: sucks. Those moments in life, Ton was just talking about that. Like you get moments where you, I mean, he was saying ways of pass, fail or whatever, but you have moments that really change your your whole perception. I believe that. That one at the Met too, I guess he's a pre-Raphaelite. Lepage, would you call him a pre-Raphaelite? Well,
1: funny you should mention that. Jules Bastien Lepage was French and he couldn't make it in the academic system in the Salon in Paris so he started looking at the pre-rafts in England he was an Anglophile and he fell in love with Millet the the great English artist Uh who did the Ophelia like floating in the water as she dies right that picture and others like it electrified him and so he introduced all of that to his impressionistic pictures Uh, like the the landscape is very impressionistic right uh, but that face face is incredibly detailed yeah yeah so that's the perfect blend.
0: Oh, that's it. Because i have always wondered. I was like, where does he? Where does he fit? He's an oddball.
1: Yeah.
2: The Clark Institute in Williamstown. Love it. So, so, that was where I kind of discovered the stuff for the first year. I think the dot hash might have been the second place. Yeah. But it was where I for like it like it was after like a very conceptual post-minimalist de-skilled art education yeah. and then this yeah this art history professor started us assigning so he never provided us with transportation to, you know, <laughs> it was about an hour and a half yeah. you know in the middle of nowhere but he, he would say if you like if you want to write this paper um then you know you've got to figure out a way to get to the park. Um, and that, that was probably how my hitchhiking day started. Museums factor. I would hitchhike to, um, yeah, I would hitchhike to the Clark. And it was maybe like, I mean, it should have been an hour and a half drive. It sometimes took up to five hours. Oh, but I had that who with like the, you know, is you know, a big one with a sad. And that was the first time I've seen like flesh rendered. Amazing. Like, like flesh. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then I I, 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 I read some sort of paper about that, um, you know, um, that that painting, and it turned out that Buguru was an incredibly unfashionable person to like. Yeah, because uh-huh. I kept I wanted to prophesy. Still, is kind of a hot button. Yeah, yeah. yeah he still. There's a lot of people that still hate him. Uh-huh. Um, I, I honestly, like I feel like I get some of the criticism, but sometimes I'm like, oh, you schmuck, this is so beautiful. Like, how uh-huh. could you just not? You but know he even to really to that even split to really
0: academic atelier type art. Have you noticed that too? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's interesting. Um.
2: Well, he, um, but, but but yeah, I would kind of proselytize for him. Like I went back to school after uh, you know, and then Good I was like, a, and I would I would tell yeah, I was an evangelical <laughs> boogurouist. I, I would try a, to tell all of my art. Professors. Yeah, I was I was trying to tell my Milton, a Milton boogurouist. Know, that I would try to tell all of my kind of de-skilled art professors. I was like, do you know about this guy? And they would just look at me like, oh no, you know, like, 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 she's a lost cause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty much, no I, I Lost Cause might have been my pet name.
0: <laughs> so I feel like I get it. You're such a wealth of information. I love that Lapage story. Uh, another one that I'm confused about is Cabnell who did Echo. Is he a Pre-Raphaelite?
1: Nope. No, but he's definitely um, aware of their work. Okay, and you know he's he's more of an academic. But th- the notion of This goes back to my earlier point. In London and Paris, they knew what the others were doing. Uh And so when we drop things into national schools and say, oh, well, the French were doing only what the French do, and the English were only doing what they do. No, no, no. People were widely aware. Even though they couldn't travel so easily, even though they didn't have great color reproductions of the Internet, they certainly had good magazines, and they were going back and forth enough to be aware. So Mm -hmm. Cabanel, he certainly is... um, a kind of um, uh, academic, and he's teaching all the greats at the Ecole des Beaux Arts in Paris uh-huh. and so on. But he's also mindful of that taste for a kind of intensity, you know, that there's something different about him right. than you would find in some of his more <laughs> kind of predictable academic friends.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the Pre Raphaelites were a very certain group of like, Six or eight people. Then, they were right? pretty small in number, pretty and tight. they didn't last that long.
1: All British, and they kind of died off in terms of their grouping uh, pretty quick. I mean, I'd say probably within five, six, seven years. But the influence lasted. I mean, they kind of had another generation, and then another generation after that of their followers, including J.W. Waterhouse, whom I've done a lot of work on. Okay, he didn't hang with them because so he, was he was too young. One
0: oh,
1: he was later. But, okay. of course, his imagery is very heavily influenced. It's so influenced. Yeah.
0: So, and then if you were in France making similar work, you were just part of the French Academy at this. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And they were sort of okay with that. I mean, they would sort of write in the periodicals, so-and-so, our fellow Frenchman, is obviously aware of what's going on with the Pre-Raphaelites, and that's okay as long as he doesn't take it too far. You know, <laughs> that they, they were a little worried.
2: There's only so many red-haired models with, you know, potential tuberculosis to, you know, to, to, be, to, to be had in London. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's <laughs> true. <laughs> you got to
0: shelf life those
2: models.
1: That's right, got to hurry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so here's an oddball question. Do you like, and we're getting into your field of interest, but do you like anyone way outside of that? Like, do you like a mother well or something like that? Or? Oh,
1: that's interesting. Um Yes, yes. I mean, I think for every single century, there are artists that I admire. Um, You know, I work on 19th Century in my scholarship, and I publish a magazine that focuses on realism, whether it's contemporary or historical. But, you know, I'm absolutely amazed in front of certain Rothko paintings, for example. Yeah, me too, yeah. Amazing. You know, there's such talent there. Uh There's such awareness of... color and emotion and and form and all that good stuff so Mm -hmm. um, I don't know a lot about it but I know that I like it Mm -hmm. Um, and then bouncing back in time you know I'm riveted uh, by uh, early Flemish painting I just went to a lecture last night at the Frick about uh, the Jan van Eyck and the Petrus Christus pictures that are hanging there now they're unbelievable
0: so this is so interesting to me someone who doesn't uh, produce artwork but is in love with it what I'm always so in love with painting from knowing that's what I, I wanted to do and like almost like a scientist looks at something, like deconstructing it and thinking about it in those terms, which is in its own way a little bit dry when you're looking at it, and, or possibly not, but uh, it has a different lens to it than someone who doesn't make it themselves. What draws you into it? And I'll preface that by saying like, um, I feel like I'm a better – Music appreciator because hmm. I don't play an instrument mm-hmm. and I feel like my taste in music is better. And I sort of, I don't know, I have a more visceral response to it. And I feel like all my knowledge of painting has a, more filters between direct art and just its impact. Right. On me, you right. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually almost
2: don't have the ability to appreciate art uh because because each time a museum now i'm like oh this is how they did the first layer this That's is how exactly it. Right. and then and there's a glaze over here that you know turns it's into velatura where it's like i mean i guess with youth's music with me it's books like i uh, feel like right. with books i'm like a viscer like i feel it yeah. and with art i'm not I, I sometimes do but like mostly it's just like like it's like what i do and yeah. it's my life and and oh, there's which, emotion which?
0: there's almost like Oh my God! How did they do that? So you feel bad, or a little
1: shot for like I could do that better, you know? Like a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Yeah, I guess which, it's which, only which, human.
2: Yeah, which, which one are you? Like the? Um, oh, I'm
1: totally different in the sense that because I can't do it myself, I don't get worried about the glazes because I don't really understand them. That uh-huh. I sort of start to glaze over. No pun intended. When people go into too much detail about technique, uh-huh. and I respect it. I would want an artist to have impeccable technique as much as I want my doctor to know what Uh he's doing with a scalpel. You know, like they went to medical school and they understand how this is made. Um, So that I respect, but I don't have the ability to go deeper than that. I kind of am stepping back and looking at it in terms of its effect, its Uh influence, its um, inspirations, um, what it might do to people walking by it, or how does it read in the photograph versus... In person, all of that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Like I actually feel like he might have like a more like you might have a more pure appreciation
1: of art. Well, like for sure, a different one. Yeah,
2: yeah. I would think so. Yeah.
0: Something so cool. I'm jealous. I, I would like. I would like to turn all my knowledge of painting off and look at a couple and know sort yeah. of know but it's
2: what never going like. to happen. Was <laughs> the, the more you know, the like less you know? Like, I mean, there's some moments of magic where you're like, you don't understand how that happened, right. but there, there's not that many of them. Like, uh, like mostly you're like, this is very good, and I know why this is very good, uh, and then, you know that. Right. Like, and here's what I could possibly steal from this. So. Well, they
0: say comedians don't laugh at jokes much. When they're like at a club, they just sort of go, I get it. That was right. good, you know. Right, right. They're
1: dissecting it exactly.
2: I get but, which brand of humor is you know.
1: But but here's a question: Have you looked at a book called the artist project that's at the met bookshop that they as you probably know have been bringing famous living artists through the galleries for decades and they've summarized now dozens and dozens of these artists looking at the collection and talking about it and i don't think the met's done a very good job of promoting the book but i think it's fascinating because Hmm. you realize that living artists are so perceptive that you see things that we don't we connoisseurs or curators or scholars or you know enthusiasts and we derive benefits from that That, that I agree with you it's not a perfect way to look at a work of art but you have unique insights and, and um, uh, it, well personal responses they could be emotional or they could be something about like um, oh I saw this work when I was a boy and now I make work that is indirectly inspired by it. Let me talk about how. Hmm. That's really cool. Hmm. Um, so I think that that idea that we all need each other to fully grasp a work of art. You know, everyone's got something to contribute. Um, some more than others, to be sure. I mean, some mm-hmm. people are more eloquent than others. You know, some artists can't form a sentence properly, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah because they're <laughs> days. You're pretty <laughs> fluent. I wouldn't worry. But 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 you know, there are some artists who are tongue-tied. Uh-huh. You know, and that's okay because they're busy in their studio working mm-hmm. in a different medium. Well, and there's,
2: I feel like there's a reason people become artists. And sometimes it's, you know, like we've talked to a lot of people here. And some of them have multiple t- talents. But some of them are like, I'm good at this one thing. And that's really uh-huh. you know. And, yeah. um, and that means that they're probably not going to be that great at like explaining, explaining something. But they're incredible at making stuff. Right. So that's fun. fun.
1: Now, another um, person I like to go to a museum with is a conservator. Because they look at it differently than you do. You may be Mm -hmm. looking at those glazes, but they're looking at the structure. And if they can get near the surface, they're like, oh, look how thin it is here. You know, it isn't just the aesthetic concerns that you have. Mm. It's the technical and the chemical concerns. Now, I wouldn't want to hear that. At length, because then I'll tune out again, like, oh yeah. my god, what are you talking about? Like, they're talking about like nitrates and you know, whatever. But 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 the fact is that they too have something valuable to give us. Yeah. Because they can be like detectives sometimes. Right. And yes. Dig down deeper. I love I love thinking about layers
0: in paintings mm-hmm. and how it's gonna stick to one or the other. That in my case, I was like, that's not gonna stick, that's a mistake.
1: Yep
2: believe whoever told me that you know sin over sick or sick over the you know what mm. um like so in any case, i didn't for the, the first solo show i ever did i didn't gesso right because i didn't believe you're supposed to gesso a piece of wood like eight times and shellac it twice to see wh- whatever it is i wanted to paint so i made these paintings and um basically they all probably about five years later uh people started writing me like people who bought them or people started writing the gallery that sold them, they cracked So badly. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, for all all of you who are emerging artists, like, listen to you. Pay attention. You you really can't put, like, like certain (laughs) colors over certain (laughs) other colors. Pay attention. They will all crack. Yes. Uh, In a way that is kind of not cool patina, you know, age cracking. Just, like, cracking.
1: And, And I can say that don't feel that that's unique in art history because, of course, J.W. Waterhouse in his lifetime, got letters saying, you're a master, but I have crackler all over this picture. What the hell happened? He was not letting the paint dry before he went back with another layer because he was a kind of obsessive perfectionist and he was always in a hurry to make the big deadlines at the Royal Academy Summer Exhibition. That means that he would write back letters saying... I suggest that you fill in with watercolor wherever you see a crack. Really? And they did. Museum curators in Australia Whoa. who were buying from him in the 1890s. Whoa. I mean, he's like in his prime. <laughs> and this is the guy who did the Lady of Shalot. I mean, you know, he's kind of great. Uh-huh. You work? Can you fill in the crack sure. with watercolor? Sure. Watercolor <laughs> is a beautiful thing. It's reversible. And to the naked eye, you don't notice it. But, you know, we're constantly coming upon his works. Like, oh boy, this needs to be repaired. You know
0: who's else? Crack at, at the Met Sargent's. They've got a lot, I think, I think I meant my theory is it's just too much linseed oil, like a lot. I don't know if that's true or not, but I knew he used a lot of it and they crack like crazy.
1: So each of those artists of that period might have, you know, some overlapping problems and then they have their distinctive personality issues. Like just Waterhouse is always late. Uh In correspondence, people say, oh, God, you're never going to get that picture this year. You know, so that wasn't Sargent's problem. He was probably on time because he was Uh all very Yankee. But he had another problem, which Uh is the oil. So I find it fascinating because we're talking about real people here. Yeah, They're not perfect. They're masters and mistresses, but they're not
0: perfect. And it shows up in the paint. Like, that's that's what I had. uh, I shared a studio with one of my very favorite artist of all time one, one guy I actually say is one of the few geniuses I've known uh, this guy Michael Glass and he would always talk about getting your personality in the paint and it always sounded like this real pie in the sky kind of like what does that mean but then the more you do it you realize oh my god it is all over this stuff like you can't get away from that.
2: but it. I feel like you can't get your personality out of the paint like, yeah
0: right yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah but that's good I mean I love yeah. that Subjectivity. I love that connection with another human being, you know, that you're standing there, someone who died 500 years ago, it's like they're in the room with you. Not yeah. in a creepy way, but you know, something yeah. very you know what's moving. Really, what's
2: really cool, like, I mean, uh, until you're like some age, I don't know, until you've gone through school or something, you assume everyone who's dead in the museum is, you know, equally masterful or, and that they paid the same amount of attention all the time. And then you like start, you know, you learn a little bit more and you're like, oh, here. This guy, like, Rembrandt, there's moments when he really paid attention. He was all in. And then he says he's, like, he's just like, well, you know, this part, I don't care. Like, he doesn't uh-huh. care. Right. He doesn't care. He's trying to get it there's done in, like, 30 in minutes. And Yeah, so sure.
1: <laughs> and he's a human being. Right. And, you know, he had so many issues, didn't he, as a uh-huh. person. He was, like, all over the place uh-huh. through his life. Um, I'm fascinated by the unevenness of certain masters. Cecilia Bowe, the great portraitist, she is capable of greatness and she churned out a bunch of rubbish, too. And if someone says, oh, I have a beau portrait, I'm like, I want to see it. I'm not questioning that it's real. I just need to know what kind of day she was
0: having. <laughs> you know, what's the deal? Oh, that's great. You know, you know
2: what's weird? We, well, like, I feel like we as a society accept that, like... I don't know, like, a musician can have, like, a really great... out. Like, Dylan had really amazing albums, and then he had really shitty ones. Sure. And that, like, writers can, like, you know, go through, like... Like, you know, write, like, a brilliant book, and then one that's just, like, completely can't, like, pull its shit together. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we assume that painters, if it's a great painter, it's a great painting. And that's every true. painting will be equally great. And they're the, not. They're uh, not.
1: And you know what? The market doesn't like that. What you just said is deeply worrisome to the art market because... Although they have connoisseurs and they have people who come in and say this one's better than that one, they would love to convey through the auctions that, oh, it's a renoir, it must be brilliant. Well, no. that you know, there is a gradation aspect. And let's face it, when you're talking to new arrivals in the field, new money, new interested people, then they're like, Well, it's a renoir, it must be great, it must be worth five million, like that one over there. And you're thinking, no. Let's step back and talk about why these are different. They're both real. No one's questioning the authenticity. But that's a separate conversation. Mm. You know, is it a fake or whatever? But, but in this case, that, that's hard for a lot of people to grasp. And, and I respect that. I, I understand why they get anxious. Mm. I think we're living in a golden age now of contemporary realism, mm. that younger people are making great work at younger ages um, and the ateliers are thriving. They're giving the conventional art schools a real worry uh-huh. because they're taking away young people from them. And I think that's a good thing to remind the art schools that they're not the only game in our society. Um, and also, I think that historical art like I love, like you love, is now more... Um, Prestigious than it was 25 years ago. That okay. the Bougueros, for example, are not laughed at openly anymore. That they are maybe yeah, a lot no, of people. It a right. It's not,
2: a, you huh. know, it's, it's, not, it's not a subject for open mockery. But...
1: Exactly. And I think very few professors would be able to, and I'm talking about art history rather than studio art, just to be fair, for them to shut down a student writing a paper on Bougueros. Would be tricky now um, for all sorts of reasons that are, you know, not just connoisseurial. And I'm I'm happy about that. Um, it's not even just the market. I mean, you know, yeah, bugros sell for a lot of money, but I don't think the scholars care so much about that. I think it's just that people now are much more aware of different kinds of imagery because of the internet. Yeah, it's changed uh-huh. everything. Yeah, everything. You can see anything on the internet. So mm-hmm. we collectively, and especially the younger you are. Don't have all the baggage about, this is in the canon. This is not in the canon. Uh-huh. This is a great, right, because right. so-and-so liked him. Who cares? What right. do you think of it? Uh-huh. Right? So That's right. That's right. Uh,
2: Marshall, actually, on this podcast. Uh-huh. once a wee, week, week, uh, Where, like, he kind of hates the internet all, uh. altogether. And I would say, like, I, I hate aspects of it, but I also think there's, like, I agree there's never been a better time to do what we're doing than right now. And without the internet, I don't think it would be happening. Yeah, I agree. And,
1: and here's the thing. Like all systems, the internet is flawed. and It's got all sorts of rubbish on it. And, you know, terrible, terrible things, but also some great things. And that's like human beings themselves. Coming back to imagery... We are benefiting from the fact that our kind of art is incredibly reproducible, that there is a kind of um, uh, clarity, a graphic strength to what you do that registers through the computer, through Mm -hmm. the phone. And... I think abstract artists are having a harder time because they don't have that advantage. Uh You know, I mean, when you open up a Pollock on your phone, what does that look like? That just looks like a mess. Uh And I'm not criticizing him. I mean, he was a master at what he did, but he's kind of unlucky right now because it doesn't
0: really work. Bringing it down to like the size of a stamp or whatever and trying to see it.
1: You know, a Rothko, where do you get the subtlety Mm -hmm. On, on your phone? Uh, or intriguing. your iPad. I mean, obviously some systems are better than others and are much more clear and beautiful. but I feel like we got that covered. We're all right. So uh, you
0: see it as a good time for, for this in general in the schools. Where do you see it heading? Do you see it sustainable? Do you see a snowball getting better and better? do you?
1: The trick is distribution. I'm really worried about retail that you know, look around our neighborhood right here. I mean, shops are empty because people are not walking into storefronts so much uh-huh. and even the big juggernauts are worried like Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus they don't know if people are going to come to their new stores
2: mm-hmm.
1: imagine what it's like for a little gallery i mean yeah. if you can't be sure at Nordstrom can you be sure at Joe Jones gallery you know uh-huh. that's really scary and so you know unless you're in a tourist walking zone like Charleston or Santa Fe where people are marching around all the time looking for so souvenirs I feel like I uh-huh
2: People have stopped really like every gallery person I talk to says that like ten years ago people would walk in off the street and buy art. Whereas right now people still walk in off the street, but like when art sales get made, it's to clients that they've met at an art fair via the internet, half of them have never seen it in real life. Like people have stopped doing that. Yes. Uh Mm -hmm.
1: So this is my worry that you all have got it nailed. You're making great work and you're only gonna get better as you get more experienced. We are trying at our magazine, and there are other magazines in this zone that are really pushing it and saying, "Hey, it's here." Um, obviously, lots of great uh, blogs and websites that you can go to, like Art Renewal Center, for example, or you know um, these kind of artist-driven um, sites. But I just I'm worried about how you translate that as an artist from great talent to paying the rent. You know, and uh-huh. each of you has your own solution. I mean, you have a dealer or you have some kind of co-op or you have some sort of engagement with a group of patrons or uh, the school is very active and promotes its alumni. I mean, that they're all valid solutions, but it's still so catch-as-catch-can, yeah. you know? And, and, and I really don't know if the gallery scene as we know it will be around in 15 years because um, they're struggling. So the, what I love about galleries is, first of all, a good dealer is a great, beautiful thing because they are able to help a stranger enter the artwork and the group of artworks with insight. I mean, if they're really sound, if they're not just hucksters trying to sell uh-huh. you know, snake oil. And also, it's serendipity because if you, the patron, walk in and say, oh, I, I came for this, but then there's another wall with that, and that actually is what moves you, kind of like my experience in the classroom in Scotland, right? Like, oh, what the hell is that? Then you have a serendipity that the dealer makes possible. When you lose the dealer storefront, that starts to go away because you have, your reliance is now on the website, Mm -hmm. right? Like the dealer still has a website. He or she is still in business, but they don't have a building. They just have a site. People click around, but they don't click around that much, you know? Like Uh maybe you'll have a pop-up that says if you like X, you might like Y. But, you know, when I go to a dealer website and I see 50 boxes with 50 different artists uh-huh, okay. I don't go wow. visit all 50 that's so true right and, that's and you so might actually true not
2: visit any right unless uh-huh. you rec- unless you've like met the guy at a party and like recognize the name right
1: see that's a problem for you because if I go looking for you and you know they're sold out of your work
2: I may not click on your box if right. you're on the
1: same site uh-huh. that's bad so we have to figure out how to get around this problem mm-hmm. and and I think we all can do it if we put our brains on it you know but I just worry about the in-person experience, and the art fairs are wonderful and exciting. But first of all, there's art fair exhaustion. Uh, really, people are getting very tired, and also it is kind of like this circus of a shopping mall. Like you know, you only have one greatest hit by each artist on the I feel stand. Like Costco or something. It, it, you better make sure that work is the perfect one, right? Uh-huh. And that's not fair to the artist because sometimes you need to see the body of work
2: mm-hmm. to really understand who they are dollars a booth or twenty thousand for the smaller well, like I feel like it's unfair to, to everyone except for maybe the people who are running the you know the fair uh, that's right we're getting a lot of money for just they're doing great space. Uh, yeah
0: one thing that I'm concerned about in that way is the New York art scene dwindling because it did feel with all its trappings uh, it, at least it had some sort of a gatekeeper thing and like you said you could go to the small galleries in a, in a walking city like Charlotte, and those are great, but if that's all that's there, it does just become kind of a little bit of a trinket or right. so, something in that realm, right. you know? It needs some sort of bigger place that's an
2: establishment, I feel right. like.
1: Yes. And that is an open question now. What is the status of New York in uh-huh. culture? We don't know. Yeah,
2: did you think the art scene here is dwindling? Because I feel like there's more of us than ever. Yeah. Well, I feel
0: like it's in pockets
1: like Bushwick,
0: Lower East Side, but I think Chelsea is shrinking, and I think that, not that Chelsea was great. Good good,
2: good fucking redness. But at least, I totally agree. Seriously, seriously, I'm not going to mourn that for five seconds. But I, I guess
0: I'm not mourning it either, but I'm saying there is something about a gatekeeper and like, an art a recording artist on a label means something it's like then, oh but, they they but the, made the, it this far but
2: i don't know but those are shitty gatekeepers like uh, like i don't i, I don't yeah, mind no. i don't mind the concept of a gatekeeper actually like i i feel like i mean one of the reasons like we had you here and every other guest is like i think much like you like we like Quality. like we yeah. like skill sure. that? and 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 for that you need some sort of gatekeeper The yeah. so gatekeepers in chelsea dude like i i, I mean <laughs> yeah.
1: well they're not on our side generally they're not, they're not. there are a few yeah. exceptions course. Yeah, yeah, with 400 galleries there you would hope so but but uh-huh. yeah in general most of them are showing like boxes made of cardboard <laughs> with puke on it. i mean you know that that's not my idea of art uh-huh. um and i'm not anti-modern i'm just like not anti-trash yeah, I mean,
2: so, so, so you know like I probably don't have the energy to really contribute to the downfall of Chelsea which I would (laughs) say but I, I, I mean one of the things that I would like is for the people that we know and like and admire to succeed but I actually kind of want the other side to fail too I am I mean there's probably room for both but I'd actually kind of prefer for the other side to just yeah. not be there <laughs>
1: if it makes you feel any better I don't think they're going to be able to reverse the tide of the collapse of retail I, I do believe that those galleries will wind down in the next 10 years, especially... So
2: there'll just be five blocks of David Thornton.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, the super galleries are fine, right? I mean, that is a whole separate conversation. That's about the 0.1%, right? That's our society right now. The super rich and the super big... Are doing great. So I'm not worried about Hauser and Worth or Gagosian. They are growing and growing and growing. But that's that's a separate conversation. It doesn't mean the artists they represent are all bad. I think some of them are really interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's over there. And I'm talking about the real world of the middle class collector and the middle class artist. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And it isn't about the quality because it's there. It's just this notion of how do you get it across To an audience of middle class or upper middle class or lower wealthy people who don't know that you're out there working. Mm -hmm. How are they going to learn about what you're up to if they don't encounter it? It, They can afford it. I mean, I don't think that they're afraid for their pocketbooks like they were five, six, seven years ago. I think people feel pretty comfortable right now Uh spending $5,000 on a picture. I really do. I'm not hearing any complaints about that Mm. like we once did. There will be another recession, by the way. But we don't know when, and we're not going to worry about that right now. It's called capitalism, right? (laughs) That's the way it works. Uh But for the moment, people feel very confident about luxuries. And a $5,000 painting or a $10,000 painting is a luxury. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, how do you get their eyeballs to see what you've got?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Instagram. I mean, that's my I, I don't know. I feel like, to my point about gatekeepers, like a magazine like yours means a lot more than Instagram to me like there's something you are checking and sure. and distributing that and that is a, a gatekeeper that is not dependent on a storefront you
1: right. know well we're happy to do what we do we recognize that we have a, a loyal readership it's not growing but it's stable which is terrific um, and the fact is we hand this out for free at art fairs uh, because we yeah. want people to take it home and fall in love with it. Well, mm-hmm. because
2: it's also very beautiful. It's like a beautiful art magazine. Yeah, it routine. is like, like you still want to take that, you know, like like you still want to take that home and just have it on your shelf and like yeah, yeah. You know, right. see it in physical form. Right. <laughs> right.
1: I'm well, a paper yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And tell us about the history of it because I was one of those uh, art nerds who actually had the first issue of Plain Air magazine. Oh, cool. I remember when that. Hit All the right shows. then. Wow. And uh, were you involved in Plain Air at that point? No.
1: No. Um, it, it had already transitioned from Plain Air to Fine Art Connoisseur when I arrived in 2006. Okay. The publisher decided to tweak it to okay. be broader. That he was concerned that, you know, Plain Air was too niche. Right. Um, what turned out to happen, and this is good news, is that People who had loved the plein air landscape stuff missed it so much, they demanded that he create a new title called plein air. So it all worked out beautifully that he was able to keep Fine Art Connoisseur broad, which, as you know, it's mostly figurative or Uh representational, like, you know, uh, still lives and so on. Uh Um, The landscape stuff we leave pretty much to plein air, except on occasion we'll do a landscape article on someone who paints like Thomas Cole, you know, where it's not really... Plan air it's more studio painting of nature. right right um, so we're a good balance the editor of plein air and i keep in touch about what we're up to next issue um, the magazine has thrived because i think there are still enough people in america who want paper who want it on their coffee table mm-hmm. who want to use it as a tool who mm-hmm. like to read it on the train um, and also by the way we're on ipad so you can read it on your screen you don't have to have it in paper at all um, we are selling at barnes and noble and that goes well but you know let's face it Barnes & Noble will be gone in about yeah. five to seven years no doubt and so we can't rely on that
0: that's uh-huh. actually
2: heartbreaking yeah like, if I, I still like it you know like, the chain like, of
0: heartbreaking you know? is interesting because it was heartbreaking when Barnes & Noble took over the mom and pop and now it's yeah, heartbreaking that Amazon's I, taken over Barnes & Noble I don't Noble. know I, I was
2: actually Take over as many mom and pop bookstores as, as, as we thought it would. Right. Those are actually still going to be around when when Barnes and Noble they're is okay, gone. They're okay,
1: actually, uh, weirdly but, and wonderfully. Yeah, they're yeah. still kicking yeah, because yeah. they do events. They gather community. Yeah, yeah. That's not what Barnes and Noble is good yeah, at. You know, but Bar- yeah. you know,
2: Barnes and Noble is good at though is you could sit there for like five hours with a book and they, they didn't. A book. <laughs>
1: I see yes. a theme with this lady. Yes.
0: <laughs> Ordering and not buying anything for That's decades now.
1: In
2: <laughs> it, it's closing because of me. <laughs> I, I spent so much time there, just kind of like when I, in my early twenties, just just like I don't know looking at Hello. art books or reading fiction books back when I couldn't afford to buy fiction books uh, <laughs> Make um, it before out. before I started stealing them off Amazon which is what I do now by the way
0: Peter actually Dina kind of starts off saying a story about you as Dina was a young artist mm-hmm. at the Daesh Museum sure. Same and I here I to
1: think
2: to introduce myself that you wouldn't remember it. <laughs> Oh really, like, shaky. Oh <laughs> I'm sorry <after> <laughs>
1: <laughs> But I love the academy we, we
0: had history as well because there was a period of about a month there where you judged two art shows. I never met you. I was in both of them and I won first prize in both and got like quite a bit of money from your prizes. All right! This, hey. This month in like 2008 or something.
1: Oh, that's cool. I'm glad to be part of that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, the other way around would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, you're the jerk. Who so I owe you. <laughs> I'm glad. And awesome. your
0: reach is very deep. You're yeah. like lecturing and giving up to all these art students. It's uh, like, yeah,
2: like oh, yeah. Marshall, you totally owe him dinner. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. of course <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I have good taste. I was, um, um,
1: no, I mean, I've been in this business a long time, and I've been interested in this kind of art even longer than I've been at the magazine. I mean, at the DeHesh, we had a very close relationship with the Academy, and we were doing all sorts of judging, and we gave a prize to the graduating whatever. You know, I mean, that is about conviction. It's about seeing the connection between greatness of the past and greatness of the present. And in this vein, this kind of realism or... Whatever word we want to use. I mean, I'm still struggling with the word realism, and I just did an editorial about it. Actually, uh, um, you know, like what do we call it? What do we? I, what I, what is the? That myself. Well, I mean, I, I'm proposing here modern realism as a phrase that may be more helpful. But I got some really interesting emails back from readers saying, "Yes, we like that." But what about all the usual things like post contemporary and blah blah blah? And I was like, "Well, we haven't really answered I the love question." Post
0: contemporary, I don't love it. It's a yeah, problem. I, I don't like
2: You that. don't either? Yeah. yeah, no. Um no and I did like Daniel Maidman's like manifesto, like the the Poco manifesto. Uh-huh. But right. that was actually why I wanted to have Daniel on here. Uh, uh-huh. but but other than that, like I don't like the I don't like the name and I don't I feel like they're too narrow right. for like what you know, like like they like one specific type of type of realism. Right. But realism uh, just
0: kinda sounds I hate to say it, but a little dumbed down, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's real. It's realism. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's got all this baggage from Courbet. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it, it's not a perfect word. Uh, We've sort of beaten our heads against the wall now for 10 years and, and more. Um, and no one has come up with something. And that's, to me, puzzling because it's a field full of creative people who might just stumble upon some word when they're drunk, you know, like running around. Like, what about yeah, law? Yeah.
2: We should come up with it. Years ago mm-hmm. and uh, the only place it's really I mean a few shows kind of came out of that movement that we've curated but um I think I, I think most of most it's a trace of that movement it's called the paint anyway movement that's and good. it just ended up being a super popular hashtag right <laughs> and now people like you know we're like few pe- oh, people there's like, like there's almost a hundred thousand people like I looked at that category and right. yeah and I, I you know like like I can't even get like our stuff to the top of that that's that's such <laughs> it is such a
0: great that is a great title.
1: For a movement, yeah. paint anyway. But yeah, but not an art, you know, not an art form. Well, it's catchy, uh-huh. and you want to know more about it. But of course, it's not descriptive, right? Like, exactly. Well, what kind of painting is that? You know, <laughs> and, well, you know and what about sculpture? You know, I mean, uh-huh. all of these things start to become a problem. And you know, I, I suppose that the advantage of being a Chelsea super dealer is you can just say, "Well, it's contemporary," and everybody understands that that means whatever it means. Um, and we are contemporary too, we can't be but,
2: but we're alive. No, like at but, the same time, there. You know, here. at the
1: same time, the imagination goes toward Gagosian and not toward what we might do. That's not to say that our greatest artists don't belong at Gagosian. Uh-huh. And also, by the way, I actually think John Curran is a very talented painter. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, so it's not like we're absent completely from that roster. Uh huh. But how do we make people say, yeah, there's more where that came from?
0: Yeah. So, Peter, what do you look for in an artist specifically to write about or to that grabs your eye? What's, uh...
1: yeah. I mean, it's this ever shifting mix, you know, that um, for me, it's a blend of um, something compelling visually, something that is well made, something that is thoughtful with a backstory, Mm. something that might connect with the past but not mimic it, something that is of our time but doesn't have to be ripped from the headlines. I mean, all of those matter and they sort of shift constantly in importance one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. And if you have a template, you're screwed. That's not connoisseurship. You know, you, you can't be, oh, it always has to be number one, visually compelling. Right, you know, th- okay. Th- of course vision is important. So but happy to say It that. could also be something that is building on a trope that already exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sort of maybe don't look at that motif so carefully but then you say my god the color or what that figure is wearing is so relevant to where we are now mm-hmm. with, you know pink pussy hats or whatever uh-huh. you know so that the, that i like i mean that this is not a boring job and a boring field because you always have this constant recalibrating um and you are individuals and you will always have something unique to say in mm-hmm. your art once you have the tools now like a musician, you cannot do your very best job until you have the notes figured out, mm-hmm. right? Right. You know, and we do not want to go to Carnegie Hall and hear someone who has lots of expressivity but doesn't understand how to play a piano with note to note. Uh-huh. So that's why that field takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. We're living in a visual art world where there are a lot of clumsy, poorly educated, poorly disciplined, unskilled people roaming around calling themselves artists. Uh-huh. And that is tiresome. But I just focus on the positive. We never write a bad review in this magazine because I don't have time. I believe in karma. I'm not interested in cluttering up my brain with negativity. I just want to focus on the people I love. And um, that is a pleasure You know that my boss lets me do this uh, six times a year. Um, I wish I had more pages to do because there's so many more artists out there Mm -hmm. that I would like to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that would be a joy. But we don't have the staff and there's not a demand. You know, it would be a stupid business decision for us to go monthly. Um, So we're just doing this. And we have a weekly e-newsletter where we push out information about exhibitions and special projects.
0: What do you feel about the artist who gets all this, a lot of the skills? And then I've seen a few in my life, and I have my own opinions. I want to know yours. And for whatever reason, doesn't see the market conducive or feels like maybe he'll he tries to, he or she tries to get into another realm with being a little more conceptual and they just de-skill their work or mm-hmm. go to something totally different. So they have all these chops and they just, do you see that as like, well,
1: you know, the, the reason that they might go that road is subjective. It could be that they're just not selling enough work, you know, in mm-hmm. the traditional vein. Um, or maybe they feel that that's a genuinely interesting decision. Um, you know, I'm not in any way judgmental. I mean, I, I, we just talked earlier about illustration. I mean, that obviously a lot of talented people work in illustration too in mm-hmm. addition to fine art because it's a great paycheck and because they are able to churn out the work quickly and well. Um, there's some terrific illustration out there these days, mm-hmm. not just the golden age that we were talking about from right. the 1920s or whatever. Um, I kind of... I'm very forgiving about the people you're describing. Okay. I think that you just want to... You want to know that they can do it already, Uh, For example, Picasso mastered every possible page in the Bark book by the Uh age of 13.
0: Uh And then he broke
1: all the rules. Right, right, right. He had the right. Uh And, you know, he was kind of a weird man. But but he was a genius. And as flawed as his output was and over large and, you know, all this junk he made at the end, you still walk into a major exhibition like Picasso's sculpture at MoMA and you say, this guy knew what he was doing uh, as an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was not just about sheer skill in the sculptures. It was just expressivity. I mean, this is an incredibly creative, weird, wonderful genius. Mm-hmm. And that sort of leapfrogs to the top of the list, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, he had a whole bunch of other advantages, like his crazy life and his marketing people and whatever. But um, I feel like that um, those factors are ever mixing and melding and the the problem is when really great marketers get a hold of an artist who's crappy and turn that person into someone famous or important, I get really annoyed. Mm-hmm. And and Fischl is an interesting case. I mean that you know, there are a whole bunch of things going on in his life that we don't have time to talk about. But um, you know, I, I think there's talent there somewhere, but but definitely that was a perfect storm. Like at the right moment, with the right wife, with the right dealer, with the right stories, with the right imagery. Uh-huh. Amelia Hampton's I so very
2: like vague and inoffensive when he talks and I feel like that really helps <laughs> like, uh, like, if, uh, like I don't know if you've ever yeah. heard him talk or talked to him like he will talk but then like, you kind of realize that like, it's just like it's like, incredibly slick. It's almost yeah. like a magic trick uh, yeah. sure. where like nothing gets into Well, that used really, to be how politicians were, yes. I think, That's right. Yeah, I, think That's would be, I think you'd be a great politician, actually. But, but there's,
1: there's, there are gifts there, too. I mean, I think that I never want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because it isn't just that he's been influential for a long time. It's also this notion that there is something very compelling about the imagery. I agree with you entirely that to see it in person is not as satisfying as to see it on a phone. And, uh, and there is an advantage there. Coming uh, back to an earlier uh, yep. conversation, yep, maybe, yep. really reproducible. Mm-hmm. Looks great on a magazine cover. You're right.
2: You're right. It does look great kind
1: of shrunk. Which you, is fine, you know, but not the whole story.
0: What do you think, like, that, just that talk, how you phrased, right time, right place, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It sounds like those are the ingredients that history remembers as genius. And talent is a component. But what, what are your thoughts on that? How it seems like some of the most talented people get totally marginalized and forgotten
1: no that's an unfair thing I mean it's been like that for centuries Mm -hmm. obviously we all know Van Gogh didn't sell a picture you know I mean uh, he's not my very favorite artist but I do see him as a fascinating artist because Uh he is um, so um, unique and expressive and and there is talent there of a sort Um, that trope of ignored and degraded and then super famous later and isn't that weird and unfair and somehow oddly satisfying vis-a-vis the academicians that I've studied from the Royal Academy and the Paris Salon who were superstars and multi-kazillionaires in their lifetimes and now you wouldn't pick up their work if it were at the dumpster on the corner because it's boring and conventional right so that's the more interesting story to Hmm. me because it happens more often. That whenever somebody is riding high today, I'm like, you know what? Let's give this one some time. Let's see how this works out. Uh When I'm 95, I'll be very interested to know if so-and-so is still respected. And I can assure you the storerooms of New York museums are filled with 1980s art stars who have been completely forgotten today. Uh They're just waiting to get rid of this stuff. And they can't because there's no market
2: like there's a stereotype of you know the starving artist saying people think Van Gogh didn't want to sell art he really wanted to sell art like, like, sure that, was such, like that was sure. such bullshit like totally. he you know and he was jealous of his contemporaries that did sell and he wrote letters to his brother kind of begging for you know something to either money or for something to get sold um, yep. I mean it's a like, like it wasn't good it, being starving wasn't good it wasn't what made him Van Gogh right. it was more like he was Van Gogh and as a side effect he you right. know
1: Yeah. So this unfairness is present always. And so I don't get rattled about it. It makes me a little sad in the here and now when I see a talented artist like your peers, who's just ignored or confused or, you know, Mm -hmm. degraded by other people. Um, Obviously, it's true what we say about New York is a wonderful place where you can converge with other peers and kindred spirits who give you moral support as well as ideas and introductions. Um, I think it's harder maybe to be out there in the wilderness, like... Living on a farm in Nebraska, making this work, and you don't feel supported. Except the internet has helped a lot with blogs and Facebook and all of that. I would Mm -hmm. imagine it's a lot easier to be that removed physically than it was thirty years ago. Um, I don't know because I've never lived in a. But we had a friend that moved out to Alaska. Oh, okay. And he he even managed to have a show in New York after Mm -hmm. he moved that way. There you go. See, so it's possible. possible. I mean, in that regard, the world is smaller. You know, so. it's um, it's manageable. It's just that the, the challenge of trying to capture attention from an ever more sensationally oriented art press uh, or media is the trick. Um, look at how thin the art section of the New York Times has become, mm-hmm. just like the rest of the newspaper. Look at how... Um, relatively infrequent we see art news or art in America, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and of course their emphasis always is on the cutting edge anyway But even if they do have room, it's not so generous as it once was and that is coming back to the gatekeeper thing A problem because a lot of smart people look at those right Um, and otherwise you're kind of reliant on, you know uh, Lots of advertising that you maybe can't afford or some good luck like um, for example the uh, artists who created the portraits of the Obamas recently that yes. was everywhere, right? Uh-huh. Yes. And those people, I mean, Kehinde Wiley was always always famous. so There was oh, never yeah, any problem. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, don't even go there with Kehinde Wiley. But, <laughs> but 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 the other artist whose name I can't recall, but, you know, made a decent work of Michelle Obama. Um, you know, boom, you only dream of that. And it's only mm-hmm. going to happen once in your lifetime.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right? right so here.
1: that that's wonderful, but uh-huh. that's not normal. I, so. yeah, I also
2: feel like there's less... I mean because of I guess a lot of it's the internet, there's less ta- like truly talented people who are truly ignored than ever before. So there's also a l- more people who think of themselves as artists than ever before. Right. and mm-hmm. a lot of them are not. That right. Great. I mean uh. Like, uh, like, there's more crap art than oh. there's ever been. There's more good art, I feel like than there's ever been. There's Correct. just more art because we kind of live in an age of relative luxury.
1: That's yeah. right. think of that's uh, very well put. So uh, we have to work on that. How do uh, we get through the clutter? To show the great stuff, yeah, um, and I think part of it is—I'll be very candid with you—I've been suggesting for a while that we need to captivate people through multi-figure images and narrative, evocative images more than we have until now. That we're in the right zone here. Mm-hmm. That the, um, the creation of Rembrandt-like images of single figures or still lives is potentially a problem because sophisticated observers may say, you know what? That's gorgeous, but Rembrandt did it already. Mm-hmm. Or I already have one by a 1920s artist mm-hmm. or a 1970s artist. I don't need another. The other stuff that I just mentioned, like multi-figure or fantastical or narrative or seemingly narrative, like you're Stephen Sill. Totally, yeah, like, yeah, you're speaking a, my language th- right now. That that's... gets people interested because we are you know all... Prizes. But your work is pertinent, too, in the sense that it lures you in, that there's this kind of, wow, what's that? Um, I feel that, you know, I'm not anti-still life. I'm not anti-single figure. It's just that we have to be careful not to just say we've mastered the techniques. We can match the old guys from way back at their uh-huh. own game. Aren't we clever? Because that's not good enough for modern people. And modern people are actually, like all human beings, deeply interested in narrative and connecting with other human stories. Um, And obviously all of that starts to bloom when you see multi-figure or something that is slightly off. I don't mean weird necessarily, Uh but but something that intrigues you, Uh like a film would. Yes. And in particular, we're living in a golden age of television right now. I mean, uh, I forget the movies; I don't go to the movies anymore. I know. Who but needs I mean, my God! I mean, uh, our DVR is filled with yeah, amazing
0: things. Exactly. So
1: there's no shortage of brilliant people making images that I'm so are happy for engaging. Because so. I
0: feel like that's been a shift in the last few years, honestly. Because I came up through ateliers very academic, and it was all portrait in a chair, and that. That to a degree, I was like, I want to do other stuff. That was always where my heart was. Mm-hmm. And right when I got out of school, I started painting a lot of figures, a lot of strange imagery. And people just did not get it. There was one guy who was like with me, this guy, John Brosio in, in Los Angeles. He just showed with Arcadia, actually. Mm-hmm. Sure. And a ton of buzz on his show. And I remember Arcadia being more traditional. And this is like an imaginative, figurative realism show and i was like look it's like coming around i was like really
1: excited there you go (laughs) so look i mean here i am with a a magazine with a single figure on the cover so i'm not suggesting this is bad i love this image but of course i think that that we have to be mindful of the fact that we got to mix it up and we have to kind of address that human thread Mm -hmm. um and will that get massive media attention no of course not but there's something in it that I think people then forward to each other, like by email or text or Instagram or whatever, like, have you seen this? This Uh is interesting. This is kind of, you know, not necessarily hallucinatory, but something that is intriguing. Uh They haven't seen that before. Mm -hmm. And it's not trying to be weird for the sake of weird. I mean, there has to be some genuine expressiveness Mm -hmm. in it. But I think that's possible. So anyway, um, that's kind of my my stump speech on that and, and the other thing that I keep getting told and I'm not convinced is fantasy art um, I have my worries about some of it that Art Renewal Center has been doing a lot in that area mm-hmm. and I've been involved in the um, EluxCon which is that gathering like Comic Con of all the fantasy artists um, yes once a year they do it yes big, big event you know great quality of technique uh-huh. but some very disturbing images uh-huh. like anti-woman yep totally sexist uh-huh. and totally like un, well,
2: sometimes unhelpful sometimes super cheesy as well but Well, kind of I mean, yeah I, mean, I i really like some fantasy art but like the, right. you know, like, like, you know, like it like it actually i feel like see just the whole genre... I'm actually like a fantasy dork, but there's been so few good good right. books, good fantasy books written. When there are, they're amazing, and I feel like it's the same with fantasy art. Yeah. Like, is it you know, like the, the playing field is so wide, but the amount of stuff that's actually like readable or viewable is well. Ton and I
0: have put on a few shows years back in in galleries about the line of illustration, fantasy art, fine art, comic art, and just <laughs> blending them and seeing. And I think that it, it the, a lot of that though. We're come the, the angle is always like, hey, an illustration's great too, and fantasy art's great too. But now I'm seeing you can't lose the fine art right. aspect either. Like, That's right. there's something kind of elevated about a fine art imagery, even something like a Rothko that just makes you question. And once it's an illustration of a guy with like a glowing ball or something, it's like. It's like a post, It's like a yeah. it's like a frat room poster.
1: So there's that boundary, and uh-huh. it's a very fluid one. And I think that I want to always be inclusive, but not in any way desperate to absorb that set. Like right. I didn't mean to run down a LuxCon or the Art Renewal Center because I think there's some great quality uh-huh. in the way they've selected. But that is, as you just said, um, a kind of Small number within a giant universe, and that worries me because we can't get confused and say, Oh, they're all great, you, you have to be discerning. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I
2: there's like, there's like two of them that are great,
1: but like <laughs> it's like there's a lot of chops, and yeah, I, yeah.
2: um, very little kind of, I don't know, and I think the
0: sexism is a problem in it too. Yeah, like it's like to where a lot of old paintings of, of nudes don't come off as sexist, a lot of like the more fantasy stuff, it's
1: yep. like. Well, they're getting that from the Pulp Fiction tradition, Uh which of course was toxic, I mean horrifying, 1940s, 1950s stuff Mm -hmm. that makes your skin crawl. Um, I I think that as long as we're mindful that that world Mm -hmm. is there and that we can intersect with it strategically on our own terms, I totally agree with you, fine art comes first. Mm -hmm. And as long as that is back and forth and, and open... Uh, not snotty Not like Oh you're only an illustrator uh-huh. But but calling it like it is I mean yep. if it looks like An illustration For a commercial product Say so uh-huh. You know And move on yep. um, But let's face it There were some great 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 fine artists Like Norman Rockwell Or Maxfield Parrish Who so, were also making Cornwall's. Illustrations
2: Sure Guys like James Jean, who's like kind of on the border of illustration, but on the other hand, it's like totally not cheesy and gorgeous. And there's like Marco Uh Bazzoni and I know Pat Perry, all of whom, I by the way, Jeremy Getz.
0: um, His name Geddes or Getz?
2: Get. Oh yeah, he's good. Yeah, I I don't know how to pronounce it either. Pronounce
0: Getz, but I can totally.
2: But but yeah, like it could be an illustration, but it's also like beautiful and it's definitely fine art as Uh, well. James Gurney, there's so many,
1: really good. good, really good. Yeah. So that makes me happy because I, I know that they're thriving in that world, you know, and that's good. They have good incomes, but they're also welcome in our world at certain moments, you know, uh-huh. when it comes to certain kinds of exhibitions or uh, publications. Why not? Uh, but but we also have to think about the fine art scene and how it can be buttressed. And, and that's that's important to me. I, I want to make sure that the, the younger people emerging from ateliers don't get disenchanted and leave the field. That would be a shame because then things start to go into wind down. Uh You know, we go into some other kind of orbit. I'm not being fraidy cat about some other kind of art. I don't know what that would be. But all the work that folks are putting into the studying and the mastering of techniques, the chops, Uh we've got to support that.
0: Uh So before we close down, though, another thing I did want to ask you a little about face coming up um, in Miami, correct? That's right. November
1: 7 through 10 Okay This year Uh, It is a beautiful hotel The Biltmore uh, Which is in Coral Gables, Miami Not far from the airport uh, But not under the tarmac, you know. Uh, I mean, right, it's right, like, right, It's very pretty. <laughs> I'm just mentioning that because it's not, not Miami far from beach. the airport. Has
0: advantages yeah. and disadvantages. Well,
1: <laughs> it's ten minutes by taxi, um, but it's also you know it's not near the beach, so actually it has its own energy. It's a 1920s Spanish revival complex, very oh, beautiful, nice, really beautiful with a big pool. And anyway, it's terrific. And we did it last year, and we're doing it again this year. And the idea is to gather working artists in this terrain and people who care about it, like collectors and curators and scholars and uh, some dealers and and talk about it and in particular focus on demos we have some master artists who are showing us how they do it okay uh, they spend three hours on the stage oh, that's uh, great. we have like oh my gosh uh, i think this year almost 20 of them and on friday and saturday no thursday and friday nights we have uh, a studio where people can go and make their own art i mean almost everybody <laughs> in the room is an artist of some sort anyway. Uh, And we give them easels and off they go sketching or or painting or even sculpting from a live model. Oh, that's great. So it's fun because it's interactive and you have master teachers walking around telling you, you know, change this, change that. That's such a
0: good idea. It's, it's,
1: It's a real community building exercise. We wanted to not do it to sell magazines. We wanted to do it to remind people that you're not alone and that even if you do travel a lot or live in New York or whatever, it's sort of nice to come to a place which is slightly off the beaten track where you can hear other approaches, meet people that you've admired for a long time but Mm -hmm. never actually shaken their hand, Mm -hmm. get into informal conversations in the lobby over a drink, um, go to a big cocktail party in the expo hall, buy your brushes next to a master who's buying more brushes for himself or herself, Um, It's just very inspiring and we want to do it just once a year. That's the goal. I
0: love the idea as someone – I've been to Portrait Society a few times and like it's it's an interesting idea to have everybody – painting there and then just it's almost like it shrinks it down into an atelier of a lot of really driven people. It's awesome. It's such a great listening
2: idea. Listening to this gives me major like fear of missing out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a name for that, isn't there? Some kind of phobia. <laughs> yeah.
1: FOMO oh no, that's FOMO and we actually know the guy who invented that word. Oh, cool.
2: Uh, there's one person that came up with that word and uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> But um, but now I feel like it's enough of like you know it, um, it like it describes something so well like you're describing this and I was like but I want to like like this is the exact kind of thing that I would love to get. Well, be at. next November, join next us. November? All Wouldn't right. that be great? Yeah,
1: the answer is yes. Uh, I mean, if you can't, I think you'll be busy in two months' time, so I'm not going <laughs> to okay, push you. Time,
2: yes, <laughs> but then November after. If you, if, you, if, you, if you do it the year after, this, yes, I'd love it'll to be answer. November. That's right.
1: Yeah, it should be fun. Faces definitely a ball. It sounds great. Yeah.
0: Well, Peter, thanks so much for coming. This has been thank spectacular. You're and, wonderful. Thank you. And you're a wonderful. real champion of the art we like. And it's you were real informative and actually pretty encouraging the whole time, too. So it was a really great talk.
1: I am glad to spread the encouragement because I really believe. Great. I do. You're on the right track. Definitely. Great. Keep it up, everybody. <laughs> thank right. thank yeah. you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you.
0: for listening to the art grime podcast rate and review us on apple podcast also we're on instagram at art grime podcast you can leave comments on the thread or dm us there we usually see them also facebook we're at art grime podcast you can uh leave comments future questions for our guests and such there Our website is www.artgrindpodcast.com. Definitely go there for the beautiful images that we post off the artist. And don't be shy to donate us money so we could buy some really good blues for the guests. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.